Hello and welcome to another edition of the Hoop Scoop Pod. My name is Nate, not with my pop pal Phil today. We got a little bit of a sub action going on. My great friend, a fellow potter, frequent visitor on the Hoop Scoop Pod, Alex Adamo of Frequently Football. How are you doing today, Alex? Nate, I am excellent, man. Very excited for this three-day weekend and even more excited to talk about some basketball today. Awesome. So we're going to go over all of the conference semifinal series. Some of them have started. All of them have started except for the Lakers and the Rockets, which we'll watch today. But we'll just kind of gauge where we're at with each of those series, talk about what we've forward to seeing, and that'll be that. I'm looking forward to it. You ready to get going out? Born ready, Nate. Born ready. Awesome. So let's start with the Bucks and the Heat. The Bucks and the Heat. Right now, Milwaukee, we all know, they're down 2-0. Game 3 tonight, 6.30 p.m., it's must win for Milwaukee. There's a lot to digest in this series right now. You could probably make a whole pod for every single game of this series. But, Alex, is there anything you're thinking initially about this series? Any questions you have? Anything you're wondering? I don't know. There's, there's a lot to take away from this series. Yeah, absolutely, Nate. And I'm very glad we started with this series. I want to start and say I was super excited to see the Bucks in the playoffs this year. I was hoping that they were going to carry over the regular season dominance into the playoffs this year. That being said, doesn't look like they're carrying over that dominance. They're struggling a little bit against the Heat. I know the analysts said it was going to be a tough matchup for the Bucks. The Heat are going to present some problems. Nick, what are you seeing that is causing the Bucks to lose? What can they improve upon if they're going to win this series? Yeah, well, there's some things that are simple that anybody can just probably even look at a box score and figure that the Bucks need to improve or else it's going to hurt. Or, and there's some things that I think are a little more nuanced. So the bigger things, first of all, the, Milwaukee's not shooting the ball well enough. They're not shooting the ball well enough at all. We all know Giannis, his game isn't outside of the paint. His game is downhill. It's attacking, and they spread it out around him almost all the time. They'll have three, four three-point shooters around him. George Hill, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, Wesley Matthews, any of these guys, they're out there to make three-point shots. They're not doing that right now. Last game, they're 7 for 25 from three. That's just not going to cut it. It's that simple. They missed a lot of makeable shots. They got guys coming off the bench who aren't making shots. Their starters aren't making shots. They're not making enough threes. So that's the basic thing that you know anybody with two eyes can see. But then there's also some nuanced things that I think Miami's just taking advantage of. And that's the fact that Milwaukee, the, the game plan is clear. They've been doing the, the same thing all year. They protect the paint. They give up the long ball. They protect the paint. They give up the long ball. And they don't switch. They don't switch. They are willing to let you funnel into the paint and then try to work out. And they'll live with semi-contested three-point shots. And Miami's just simply taking advantage of it right now. Guys like Goran Dragic are coming off of screens and just hitting walk up, pull up three-point jump shots uncontested and draining them. Tyler Harrow has had an unbelievable impact, especially last game, something that I did not expect. He's walking into jumpers. He's walking into jumpers, and Milwaukee's just living with it. Jimmy Butler obviously didn't have the kind of impact he did in the first game uh, last game, but he's touching the paint, getting it out to people. He's getting into the lane, you know, 
getting pull-up jumpers. He hit a couple threes even. They're, they're giving up too much on offense, and Miami knows what they're looking for. They know what they're looking for, and they're getting it. We know that he can shoot threes, and they're making their threes because, quite frankly, that's Milwaukee's defensive game plan. They look a little bit confused on defense. They just do. They look a little bit confused on defense, and I don't think it's anything that won't happen again tonight unless adjustments are made. And Jimmy is so locked in right now. He's super intense, and I love watching him play, especially in this series. But earlier on, you mentioned Giannis. So Giannis, presumable MVP again this year. I think it's pretty much a lock, right? And I'm wondering, is he capable of leading the Bucs or any other team for that matter to a championship? Is this the best that you could see him doing from the free throw line? Can he improve his jumper? Like, is he going to be able to develop into a jump shooter that is effective enough that opposing defenses are going to have to account for that, like his drive? It, it, like, where do you see Giannis's game going from here? Yeah, Giannis, he's an interesting player because all of those super high-level superstars, that, that upper, upper echelon of players that he is in, he is in, Kevin Durant, when he's healthy, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, I would even say James Harden. These guys are shot makers. They're shot makers all over the floor. Three-point, the rim, Durant and Kawhi mid-range, they, they, get, they can make shots. They make shots all over the floor. That's not Giannis's game. Giannis isn't a shot maker. Giannis is a force. He's dominant. Probably the most dominant player I've ever, I've ever seen. Probably the most dominant player since Shaquille O'Neal. And that's his game. So if you're going to look at Giannis and say, oh, he needs to make perimeter jumpers. Oh, he needs to be able to be effective for more spots on the floor. I'm, I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen in the, in the short term, at least. That's not his game. He does other things. In terms of him being able to lead a team, I think he's fine being able to do that. I don't think he's the problem per se right now. He had a bad game one. He didn't play well in game one. Game two, I thought he played fine. They're not making shots around him. And quite frankly, I don't think he's being put in the best position on offense. Early in game two, I remember, I think it was the first, at least the first two plays, they were just kind of feeding Giannis. He got a mid post up where he did a fadeaway, I believe it was air ball. He got another isolation play where he drove middle. It just bricked off of the backboard, didn't even touch the rim. If you're going to say, okay, let's get Giannis going by putting him in isolations, getting him one-on-one opportunities just in stagnant offensive sets like you would do for, say, Kawhi Leonard or uh, Kevin Durant. That's not going to work. He needs to be in motion. He's at his best when he's in motion. It's easier said than done, but this Milwaukee offense looks very stagnant right now. It's a lot of guys just standing around the three-point line and just missing shots, and that's not helping Giannis because if guys are going to miss shots and the offense is going to be stagnant, like it's one thing if guys are hitting shots. But guys aren't making shots, and Giannis is kind of just there like, okay, you know, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And if, if they're not going to kill them in transition, which they're not because Miami's doing a great job building a wall in transition, Giannis's transition points are completely limited. It's just – it's hard for Giannis right now. You can't ask him to be something that he's not, if that makes sense. Absolutely does make sense. And I want to ask one more question around this before we switch over to the next series we're going to talk about. And you alluded to Giannis or compared Giannis. You know, a lot of people have compared Giannis to Shaquille O'Neal. 
And I don't know if you saw Richard Jefferson, I think it was, came out and said, you know, maybe Giannis needs to be the Shaquille O'Neal to a Kobe Bryant or the Scottie Pippen to a Michael Jordan. You know, maybe he is the bat or excuse me, the Robin and not a Batman. Do you think Giannis can be the Batman for a championship team? Bottom line, yes or no? Yeah, I think Giannis is a finals MVP caliber player right now. Is he is he LeBron James? Is he Kawhi Leonard? Is he Kevin Durant? Probably not. But you put him around the right team, and I think, yeah, he can. Is this team good enough right now? I don't know. I don't know if it is. Chris Milton has been inconsistent. Their bench is not that good right now. It's just not. People had this misconception about Milwaukee's bench because they put up good bench numbers, quote-unquote. But when the playoffs come, you're getting Pat Connaughton and Dante DiVincenzo major minutes in the Eastern Conference semifinals. It's, that's probably not going to cut it. Another thing also, Mike Budenholzer is getting outcoached. Plain and simple. Getting outcoached. He's not making the adjustments that Eric Spolster has made before this series and is continuing to make. Milwaukee's offense looks the same it did in Game 1 and Game 2. Their defense is the same as it was in Game 2. They got killed the exact same way. Giving up open three-point shots, not switching when they need to on screens. Goran Dragic killed them two straight times. You know, Giannis can only do so much. Now, I say he's perfect because he's not, and he had a terrible Game 1. But at a point... It's not just black and white like this is, this is the guy, this is the guy, he can do it, he can do it. You're only as good as the situation that you're put into. And there's a lot going on around Giannis right now that I don't think is sufficient. Ultimately, it is a team game too, right? Absolutely. And Mike Budenholzer, I, I don't want to harp Mike Budenholzer, but he, can he play his guys like it's the playoffs, please? I mean, we saw what Nick Nurse did last night. Kyle Lowry played 46 minutes. He's playing Giannis max of 36 the dude's the MVP. He needs to play over 40 minutes. Just Great. black and I'm all, He needs I'm, to. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I want to see it. So, tonight's going to be telling. It, it, one, could, one could dare to say, Alex, tonight is the biggest game so far. Maybe outside of like the 1970s finals, which, you know, is what it is. In the modern era of basketball, this could be the biggest game in Milwaukee's Bucks franchise history tonight. Wow. Could wow. be. And do you think that the Bucks take home, or not home, I mean, they're staying in the bubble regardless, do they leave game three with a win tonight? Yes or no? Uh, and I believe so. I think they Lakers. I think they I hope so, too. All right. So there we go. Bucks projected to win game three. Now, moving on to the Rockets-Lakers. This is a super fun series. At least I think it's going to be a super fun series. So Rockets doing their small ball approach. P.J. Tucker, the five, versus probably Anthony Davis. He's going to match up against Anthony Davis, right? How do you see this matchup, Nate? How do you see Lakers versus Rockets playing out? Yeah, I think it's going to be really, really interesting. I can't wait to watch that game tonight. I think the Rockets match up pretty well, actually. And I don't think they're going to win the series. I think the Lakers are going to win six. But people like to just look at results and just – make claims based on them. So they see the Rockets struggle with the Thunder and they say, oh, no chance. Lakers are going to sweep them. Lakers are going to win five. Not competitive. And things don't work in a vacuum like that. The Rockets have a lot going for them that I think will give the Lakers problems. As, as well as the Lakers ended that series against Portland and they absolutely dominated game five, 
let's not forget that CJ McCollum went for 36 points and looked completely comfortable and kind of kind of do whatever he wanted on offense, honestly. And that's without a real co-star. Dean Lillard wasn't playing. And that's CJ McCollum. That's not James Harden. The Lakers still have a weakness at guarding opposing guards. They're, that's their weakest spot defensively. Anthony Davis, great defensive player, great rim protector, very switchable. He's not guarding guards. LeBron James, he really took a step up compared to last year defensively. But he's, he's not 27 year, years old anymore. He's not the guy you want defending the other team's point guard. Houston is going to, I think, be fine on offense. They are going to be fine on offense. Obviously, the question is on defense, and we'll see what the Lakers do. Are they going to go super big? Are they going to try to just exploit the matchup, pound them on the boards, put JaVale and AD, put Dwight and AD on the floor at the same time? We'll see. You're going to falter on offense when you do that is the problem. And Houston is more switchable than probably any team in the league is another thing. They don't have, obviously, a rim protector at all. They don't, they don't protect the rim. But they do have strong post defenders. P.J. Tucker. Do you think that they're more switchable? Mm, more yeah. switchable than the Clippers? Uh, but, all right, probably not. But the thing with the Clippers is at, when you have their best five out there and Lou Williams is out there, that's a real liability. I don't think Houston has a liability like Lou. Mm. So because even James Harden, I think he's got great hands. He's not going to be a defensive stopper, but I think that I trust him more defensively than Lou Williams. That's why I might – I'm not saying they're a better defensive team, but just in terms of matchup switchability, they're right up there with the most switchable. We'll see what Anthony Davis does. We'll see. Everybody loves to say, oh, Anthony Davis is going to dominate P.J. Tucker. And I'm sure Anthony Davis will have a couple of games where he scores 35-plus. He's Anthony Davis. He's a top, you know, arguably top five player in the NBA right now. So that'll happen. But I also think James Harden presents a lot of problems for the Lakers defense, a lot of problems. And I think it's going to be a good series. I really do. I think it's definitely going to be a great series, too. And I'm eager to see how James Harden bounces back. Game seven, he did not play well offensively, right? And Russell Westbrook, I think he definitely had some bonehead plays coming down the stretch of games in this series against the Thunder. That being said, Nate, you're looking – say you're a Rockets fan, and you're looking to see uh, how Harden plays, how Westbrook plays. Um, who, I guess, would you be more – concerned about you know like who who i guess is more key to the rockets pulling off the upset against the lakers really good question they both need to do different things i think it still comes down to james harden though james harden is the best player on the rockets and i know that lebron james is lebron james and of course lebron james is better than james harden of course he is but james harden has the potential to be the best player in this series if he plays up to his apex which has been the problem with James Harden it comes and goes it comes and goes we saw how dynamite he was in the early games of that OKC series and we saw what happened in game seven he he's not gonna be able to afford those games because if James Harden goes two for 11 they're not going to win they're just not they might I, I respect the Thunder Thunder had a great season they're not gonna beat the Lakers if James Harden goes four for 15 I think is the actual number he won so I do think it comes down to James Harden, but Russell Westbrook needs to be great also. <laughs> Russell Westbrook needs to be great also. Russell Westbrook, he needs to keep the turnovers down. 
He needs to be efficient, not take stupid shots, which he can do as long as he commits to it. I thought Russell Westbrook played a great game seven against the Thunder, one of the better games I've seen from him. He needs to attack the rim. He needs to attack the rim and put the Lakers in compromising positions. Try to get Anthony Davis in foul trouble. There's an idea. Try to get Anthony Davis in foul trouble. Attack the rim. Because they got enough shooting. That's what Russell Westbrook, what, that's what Russell Westbrook needs to do. But it's, it, that's a hard question, Alex. They, they both need to be great. But at the end of the day, James Harden is the best player. And he needs to, he needs to be the best player. I agree with you. And before we move on to the Clippers and Nuggets series, I just want to say one thing. I, you know, watch Russell Westbrook play. And when I'm thinking from the side of the opposition, Russell Westbrook takes a three, especially pull up three. I'm thinking, man, I'm happy he just took that shot. You know, I would much rather if I'm the other team have Russell Westbrook taking pull up threes or spot up threes and see Russell attacking the basket. So to the point that you made, I think Russell definitely needs to attack the basket. I love watching him work out of the post, distributing as well, creating for the shooters around him. Absolutely. So moving on now, the Clippers versus Nuggets. I know before the playoffs started during the regular season, you were saying that the Clippers were your favorite to win the title. And you've also said that they looked pretty unimpressive so far in the playoffs. What do you think they have to improve on if they're going to become champions? It's defensive consistency. That's that's what it is. It's defense consistency. It's four quarters of defense. Yesterday, they bludgeoned the Nuggets. The, the Nuggets looked gassed. The Nuggets looked outmatched. And quarters two through four were peak Clippers. That's what you need from the Clippers. They ball hawked. They created turnovers. They're absolutely lethal in transition, which... I think a lot of teams are lacking. They don't go for threes on transition, really. They attack the rim and they get dunks. That's what they do, and it works. They need to be consistent on defense. That's what it comes to. The scoring is going to be there. They have so much firepower. They, they have so much firepower. They have guys on the bench that can score. They have three-point shooting. Marcus Morris shot the lights out yesterday. I don't know if that's going to keep up, but they need defensive consistency. They need their guards to defend. They need to be more sound with their rotations. And yesterday, they were pretty sound. That was some of the best I've seen from the Clippers. But again, the Denver Nuggets, they, don't, they, didn't, look at, they didn't look their best. So we'll see. And quarter one also wasn't even that great from the Clippers. So I'm still waiting on four quarters of real defense consistency because when this team was assembled, we knew the offense. But everybody was saying, wow, the, the defensive potential of this team, adding two superstars who not only kill you on offense – but can also lock down your best perimeter players. People thought this would be a, a top defense in the league. And they've shown it in bursts, but it's consistency. And that's what I'm looking for. The team, they, they will score the ball. I don't have a problem with that. Kawhi Leonard, I mean, the dude is unreal. They have Denver has no answer for him at all. And most teams won't. But can they defend consistently for four quarters is what I'm looking to see. And Kawhi Leonard, certainly one of my favorite players to watch in the league. He's just so well-rounded. And we're going to get into the Nuggets in a quick second. Uh, but Patrick Beverly back in game one. He missed some games in the previous series. And, Nate, I know Pat Bev, his stats and his impact don't always show, or his, his stats don't actually show the true impact he has on the game. Do you think that having Pat Bev for the Clippers just makes that deep? Like... 
does he bring an extra uh, tenacity to the Clippers that they need? Pat Bev definitely helps. Pat Bev definitely helps. When he's hitting his open three-pointers, it's just a bonus. They That was, the I think, one of their biggest weaknesses in last series against Dallas is the guard depth defensively was not good because we know Lou Williams is not known for his defense. And Reggie Jackson, he shot the ball really well, but also a, def- a defensive liability. So when you put Pat Beverly in there, it just adds an extra dimen- dimension of a guard you can put in that can defend. So, yeah, that's why I think Pat is so valuable because they don't really have that point guard defender right now. Shamit tries his best, but, you know, even him, he's not really a he's not really a guard defender. I don't really love him guarding other point guards. He's more of a wing guy, in my opinion. So, Pat Bev helps their depth just even more. He's just another guy. They have so many guys. There's The, the depth on this team is crazy. It's just, are they going to be consistent for four quarters? I certainly agree. And from what you're saying, I think that it's not, yeah, I mean, nothing is a lock, but it seems like the Clippers are very likely to go on and beat the Nuggets advance to the next round. So I wanted to ask a quick question about the Denver Nuggets. Now, I had a friend before the playoffs started, and he said that the Denver Nuggets should be considered title contenders for this year and are 100% going to be considered title contenders for the years to come with their young core of Jokic, Murray, and Michael Porter Jr. Now, I was not so on board with his statement. What are your thoughts? Do you think that the Nuggets are, Nuggets are going to be uh, title contenders in the next few years, or do they still have a way to go? The answer is we don't know. And the, the reason that's the answer is because there's no harder jump for teams to make from good to title contender. And I think people like to throw that phrase around title contender, title contender. Realistically, there's four to five teams every year that are actual title contenders. And it's very hard to get to that upper, upper echelon. Denver has a really, really nice future. One of the better young cores in the league, Jokic, is a stud. I love his game. Jamal Murray is great in flashes, but inconsistent. And Michael Porter Jr. has a ways to go. He does. I know that he had some really, really nice games in the bubble, but he has a ways to go. So I'm not going to say that just because it's so hard to make that jump. We, we've, seen what happens with the, we've seen what happens with the 76ers over these last few years. All these great young asses they've acquired. And here they are just kind of stuck in the mud. And some of that is the front office and the mistakes they've made. But it's just so hard to jump into that upper, upper echelon. You almost always need a top five player, which Denver doesn't have, obviously, right now. I mean, is Jokic going to turn to that? Probably not. I guess maybe. It's just super hard to say that. I love what Denver is doing, and they're in a really good situation for the future, but they're not there yet. They're, they're just not there yet. So. So, so you think out of all the Nuggets players that Jokic, has to be the guy to be the top five player. It, there's no chance that Murray could be a top five NBA player or Michael Porter Jr. could be a top five NBA player. Who is most likely, you think, to reach the highest level of star? That's a very good question. I would just go with Jokic just because I think he's by far the best player right now. I know people loved the Jamal Murray show last series, but if you watch game one, that's Jamal Murray in a nutshell. I'm, I'm, I, I like Jamal Murray a lot. I like his game. 
but the consistency is just not there. The even the consistency of making mm. shots isn't there. He's he hasn't been a great percentage shooter, even from long range, even though the shot looks great. So I would just say Jokic just by default kind of. Michael Porter Jr. has incredible upside. And he's his body and his game is, is tailored for the modern NBA. But it's, he's just so far away right now. He's a complete liability on defense. His ball handling is pretty suspect. If you actually watch the games, he's not great at taking his guy off the dribble and taking more than He's got a beautiful stroke. Physically, he's all there. He has everything you need. But he's years away. He's years away. So I would just say Jokic by default because he's already proven that he's an all-star level player. Okay. So one final quick question before we move on into the last playoff series we're going to cover today. And that is, what do you see the outcome of this series? Do the Clippers get a clean 4-0 sweep on the Nuggets? Yes or no? I'm going uh, – no, I don't think so. I I think I'll go Clippers in five because I, I think Denver's still a good team. And – as I said, the Clippers, they had a really nice showing yesterday. That was some of the best basketball I've seen, but they haven't been dominant by any means in the postseason or in the regular season. You know, I'm still waiting for the Clippers to show up that I thought they would be. And I think Devers got a nice team. Jamal Murray might go off one game. Jokic might give them some real problems. Paul George, Pandemic P might show up again. And I think the Nuggets will take one game. So I'll go. Four one, four one. Okay, so it sounds like we're going to have an LA versus LA Western Conference Finals, and now going back to the East. Looking at the Celtics Raptors series, Raptors were about to go down, o three, right? Kimba Walker made that nice pass. They're up by what was it two? I think with point five seconds left, OG. Bails out the Raptors, hits that clutch buzzer beater for a 2-1 series lead for the Celtics. So OG got the Raptors on the board. Now, do the Raptors have a shot at winning this? Or what do you see? How do you see this series playing out? They definitely have a shot. They definitely have a shot. That game was such an emotional gut punch for the Celtics. And... Boston will be fine. I still think Boston is going to win this series. I actually think it's going to go seven. But that was such wow, an really? emotion. Wow. Yeah, I, I do. That was such an emotional gut punch to be that close from essentially winning the series for all intents and purposes. 3-0 and 2-1 is just such a difference, especially when you're going against a team that you know you would be blessed to be up 3-0 because the Raptors are no joke. I know that they... They struggled in those first two games making shots, and Pascal Siakam still looks clueless out there. He really does. But the Raptors are no joke, and that is an emotional gut punch for the Boston Celtics. I am fascinated to see how they come out tomorrow. They need to come out aggressive because the Raptors on play, but the, the momentum emotionally and mentally, and I don't like to speak in these generals usually. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's kind of lazy to say that, but – that's serious. That's serious to be that close to 3-0 and losing it. There's a lot going the Raptors' way right now. Kyle Lowry looked great. He made things happen all night. He was aggressive. He start, shots started to fall. Van Fleet got a little bit of confidence. OG Ananobi, I think, has been one of their best players all series. 
He's doing everything on both ends. Forget the game-winning shot. He was great all game, defensively, rebounding. And we're still waiting for Siakam to show up. That's the biggest issue. The dude hasn't showed up. He looks bad. Boston has essentially figured him out. But I think this is going to be a really good series. I think it's going seven. So Nick Nurse voted coach of the year, right? Yes. Making the in-series adjustments, preventing that 3-0 deficit. What is Brad Stevens going to do for the Celtics game four to get them to get another win? Yeah, Brad Stevens didn't have his best showing. He, he didn't. I think that they really faulted in that third quarter. I don't think the rotations were that crisp. There were some lineups out there that I just didn't have enough, didn't think they had enough scoring punch. The Raptors threw that zone at them and they looked a little confused. I think at one point they had Grant Williams, Brad Wanamaker, and Robert Williams all on the court at the same time, I believe. And that's just difficult to do. I know it's not always his fault. That's kind of the depth that they have. But they struggled to score in that third quarter. And the Raptors didn't even play that well, and they kind of fell behind. The, the Celtics kind of fell behind in terms of the quarter score. They weren't losing the game, but that was a time where they lost ground. And I think that's kind of on Stevens. The rotations weren't that crisp. At the end of the fourth quarter, going zone on that side out, it was an unbelievable pass by Larry, and obviously OG finished the shot. But going zone there doesn't really make sense when you can lose on a three. So I don't think it was the best look for Brad Stevens. Nick Nurse outcoached him for all intents and purposes. But going into next game, they got to just do what they've been doing. I don't think the Celtics are in trouble. I think a lot of things are going well for them. Kemba Walker is playing great basketball. I think that was the best game I've ever seen Kemba Walker play yesterday, considering the stakes and just what he was able to do from start to finish. Played flawless. They need to get Jason Tatum going because he was great in game one. Yesterday, he was bad. He missed shots that he usually makes. He didn't look that comfortable on offense. He had some pretty ugly isolation takes. So, I don't know. Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum. He's going to be fine. He's got to get himself going. So, I don't think there's any major adjustments, but this is a series, and the Raptors aren't going anywhere. They have all the momentum. I don't think the Boston Celtics are in trouble, but, man, man, if there's any way to win a game three, that was it. I know you said that you predict this game, this series to go seven games, and I'm going to get to your out, your your uh, predicted outcome in a second as to who wins. But you mentioned earlier that it's so important for teams to have a top five player in the NBA if they're going to be champions. Now, who do you think has a better chance of becoming a top five NBA player, Jason Tatum or Pascal Siakam? Yeah, that's not close. It's Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum's better right now. He's going to be better next year. He's going to be better the year after that. I, in, in my circles of friends, I've had arguments about Jason Tatum versus Pascal Siakam. And it's very easy to look at Pascal Siakam. And I'm not trying to be a Pascal Siakam hater. I love his story. He was amazing for them last year in the NBA Finals. But life gets a little harder when Kawhi Leonard isn't on your team anymore. And I think he's starting to discover that. Jason Tatum is a better basketball player. I know that Pascal's numbers are really nice. He scored a bunch of points. The percentages are good. That's all fun. But when the playoffs come and scouting starts to amp up, it's not just, oh, we got a game on Wednesday. Oh, we got a game on Friday. Nobody's really scouting in the regular season that heavily. Sorry, that's just the, the fact of the matter. 
when the postseason comes and you are locked in on one opponent, the Boston Celtics and Toronto Raptors are locked in on each other. There is no team even in their peripheral. They are thinking, how do we beat this team tomorrow? And that is it. And how do we stop Pascal Siakam tomorrow? And that is it. And that's when you actually have to be really good at basketball. I'm not saying Pascal Siakam is not really good at basketball. He's an unbelievable player. But Jason Tatum is just better. He has a better jump shot. He has a better handle. The footwork is more advanced. He's, he's just more skilled on offense. And I thought, I've always thought it was kind of obvious. I know he had a bad game, too. His game one was phenomenal. Jason Tatum's legit. I think he is going to be a stud. He's not perfect. I still think he has to work on facilitating a little bit more. That's kind of the next step. And... Yeah, I mean, Jason Tatum's going to be great. Like, I can't really say much about him. But Pascal Siakam's struggling. They're, they're game planning for him, and he doesn't have an answer. So it's Tatum, and it's not close, in my opinion. I certainly agree with you. I think that Tatum, again, one of my favorite players to watch. He's super well-rounded. I think that a lot of people that maybe would side with Siakam would argue he had tremendous regular season stats and that maybe he just has not gotten going yet in the playoff bubble. But to your point, uh, it seems like Tatum is much more well-rounded and therefore easier for opposing defenses to game plan for Siakam versus Tatum. Yes. So that being said, you already said that the series goes to seven. Do you have the Celtics winning this? Yeah, I got Boston. I have Boston. I think that they get shots in the half court easier, which at the end of the day is going to help them because – just the more tense these games get, the more half-court offense is going to be emphasized. Celtics have more firepower. The Celtics, I think, have a little bit more shooting. I I had Celtics from the start in seven, and I'm going to stick with that. Obviously, if they won yesterday, then I wouldn't have had them in seven. But they lost, and I think Toronto's going to win game four. And I think that after that, you know, it's best of three, so we'll see what happens. But I think the Celtics are going to win. I'm definitely riding with the Celtics, too. I think that they're going to end up taking this series. And, Nate, I know we're running out of time, but I wanted to get a quick, holistic view from your point of view on the NBA Finals from the Conference Finals and then on to the Finals. So I know you already have the L.A. versus L.A. Western Conference Finals matchup and then you have the Celtics now do you think that the Bucks are going to be able to come back and beat the Heat what do you think is going to happen for the Eastern Conference Finals maybe this is just me sticking to my guns too much Adamo but I think the Bucks are going to win I think the Bucks are going to come back and win this series they need to win tonight obviously I think they will but I don't think they're going to shoot as poorly as they have. Obviously, the defense is a problem, and Budenholzer has to adjust that and the rotations. He has to, and it starts tonight. This is going to be such a telling game just from a game plan perspective. I need to see it from the first minute. Their defense looked different, and maybe I'm just being optimistic. I think it will be, and I think that the Bucks will be able to make enough shots to pace themselves, and I, I think Giannis will be able to pull it out. I still think he's the best player in the series. I still think he's a force to be reckoned with. I still think he's going to make a lot of cause a lot of problems for Miami's defense, like he did last game. He had a nice game last game, so I'm sticking with the Bucks. I'm sticking with the Bucks to win that game, that series, and I'm sticking with the Celtics to beat the Raptors. 
I have a close friend that's a Bucks fan. Buck up. Shout out Tom Curcio. And I'm definitely rooting for the Bucks to come back win this year's as well. I think Coach Budenholzer, Nate, correct me if I'm wrong, he's also a former coach of the year, correct? Yeah, I believe when he was the coach of the Atlanta Hawks, they won 60 games. And they got wiped by LeBron's Cavs. So I think he was the coach of the year that year, I would think. Well, I, I think so too. Regardless, let's hope that he lives up to his, I guess, coaching pedigree or however, you know, people look at him as a coach, makes the in-series adjustments and the Bucks move on. So in a hypothetical Eastern Conference final series of Bucks versus Celtics, who would you have making it to the finals? So tough because I picked the Bucks all year and the Celtics are playing so much better. They're just playing so much better. But I'm, they've lost one game so far in the playoffs, the Celtics. Yeah. You know, and it was on a last-second shot. I know, right? I know, it's unbelievable against two solid opponents. I know the Sixers; they didn't look good, but that sweep was impressive. Joe Embiid is still a, a beast, and they—that was an impressive sweep. So, you know, Damo, I I just got to stick with my gut. I don't like going back on my picks just because it feels so bad when you you go back and you you end up getting the initial pick right, and you're just like, oh, why? You know, so maybe I'm just being biased towards my initial picks, but I'm sticking with the Bucks. I think it's gonna, and that would be an amazing series. But who knows? I don't want to get ahead of myself. It could be Raptors Heat. I, I don't freaking know. You know, these playoffs have been so crazy, and both of these series I think are really compelling, and all four of these teams I think have a chance to move on. Let me tell you, you're a noble man for sticking to your guns with the Bucks, <laughs> even though they may not look so good right now. Transitioning over to the Western Conference, the Battle of L.A., Clippers versus Lakers. I think I might have an idea of who you're leaning towards, but I want to hear you say it. Who do you got, Clippers or Lakers, in a hypothetical Western Conference final series? Yeah, it would be the Clippers. You know, I've had the Clippers since the day Kawhi and Paul George came over. I said, this team is going to win the NBA title. (laughs) So I'm going to stick with them. And there's still a lot of question marks with both teams. And we'll see how the rest of these conference semifinals pan out. I would be absolutely shocked to see the Nuggets beat the Clippers. I would also be pretty surprised to see the Rockets beat the Lakers, although not as surprised. But, yeah, Clippers, I think they have the depth. They, I think they match up pretty well with the Lakers, actually, because the Clippers have really struggled. Similarly to the Lakers, the Clippers have struggled to guard really effective guards, playmaking guards like Luka. Luka gave them absolutely fits. And that works in the Lakers' benefit too because the Clippers don't have that guard. Lou Will, you know, he does his thing. But when you have Lou on the floor, it's a defensive liability at the same time. So we give and take. I'm going to Clippers though. So much more depth, more shooting, and you know who the best player in the world is, Alex. Mr. Kawhi Leonard, absolutely. I think that he is so underrated. You know, he doesn't garner a lot of media attention because he doesn't talk to the media a lot. And he just goes about his business, plays basketball. And and for those listening, I'm no LeBron hater. Okay, I'm no LeBron hater. LeBron James is, at worst, the second best player of all time. At worst. But right now, right now, Kawhi Leonard is the dude. That's just the fact of the matter. And yes, Adamo, you are right. He does things on his own schedule. He doesn't care about any of the glamour. He doesn't care about any of the social media noise. 
there, I don't know what the context was, but yesterday was, he was in some kind of interview. And I don't even know what the question was, but he ended up saying, I'm not the kind of guy to talk about what I've accomplished, which, you know, that's just Kawhi Leonard in a nutshell. He's gunning for it. And what I love about the Kawhi LeBron thing is that Kawhi just, he thinks he's better than LeBron and he just wants to, he, he just, he believes it so truly. And I don't think there's that many guys that really think that. You know, Kevin Durant probably did, but obviously Kevin Durant's not playing right now. Kawhi Leonard, he thinks he's the best, and he wants to go out and prove it. I think he's the best as prove it, and man, is that going to be fun, LALA. Absolutely. And, you know, that quote that you brought up, uh, I saw that, and, I mean, that was just so cool to see. And like you said, it describes Kawhi in a nutshell. And, you know, I mean, I know we're looking at it from the outside. We're no insiders or anything. But, you know, looking at LeBron versus Kawhi from the outside, LeBron's focused on a lot of endorsements. I know Kawhi also has New Balance. LeBron recording Space Jam 2 and stuff. You know, right now, the king on the throne, I suppose, right? You know, he's on the L.A., top uh, Lakers, top, top team and whatnot. And it seems like Kawhi is just going about his business with the focus of winning a third NBA Finals. And I don't know if there's anything that's going to stop him. He just seems different to me. And I'm rooting for him because I want to see what mainstream media says about him and the conversation of Kawhi Leonard being a top basketball player of all time. Because I think if he gets a third title, and Nate, let me know if I'm just way out of line here. If Kawhi gets a third NBA championship, he needs to be brought up in the conversations of best basketball players of all time. He's just such a good two-way player, fundamentalist. A- am I crazy for thinking that, or w- what do you think? The conversation is so strange when it comes to best of all time. You know, what are we saying? Are we saying the best resume? Are we saying the best at his peak? It's, it's just so subjective. I'll say this, Alex. In terms of peak, in terms of peak, Kawhi Leonard is right up there, and he's already proved that in my opinion. Kawhi, last year, he was unbelievable. Just unbelievable. And if he wins another title again this year, that's a, two, that's a two-year run of just dominant postseason plays, assuming that he does continue to play like he's been playing. And that peak is as good as anybody's. But at the same time, he does need to build up the resume. It's not that of LeBron James, obviously. LeBron James's longevity is just unbelievable. But Kawhi Leonard, you know, he's not 35. Kawhi Leonard's 29 years old, all right? And if you don't think he's got championship after championship aspirations, then you're wrong because this dude's going to be here for a little bit. So, Alex, in terms of peak, yeah, he's right up there. In terms of resume, he's got a ways to go, but he's got time. He's got time, and the dude's an all-time great. And just like we witnessed greatness when we watched LeBron James, when you watch Kawhi Leonard, you're witnessing greatness too, all right? This dude is special, and he will be an all-time great. He's certainly a baller, and I think, unfortunately, a lot of people may end up realizing that he is one of the all-time greats after he's gone, when he goes into back into San Diego, and the media hasn't heard from him in years, because I feel like that's what's going to end up happening with no social media for Kawhi or anything. But in any case, moving on to our last hypothetical basketball playoff series, seems like you have a predicted NBA Finals of the Bucks versus the Clippers. Do the Clippers take that? What do you think? 
Yeah, it's Clippers. I mean, I think the Lakers are better than the Bucks. You know, I think the winner of that Western Conference Finals is going to win the Finals. I think that the two best teams in the NBA are the Clippers and the Lakers. So, yeah, it would be Clippers, Bucks, and that would be if the Bucks make it to the Finals, that's that's a good season. I I don't care what you say. I know that might that might be wrong in a lot of people's eyes, but in terms of the Bucks, I and I don't like talking about free agency, Alex. I really don't. But you gotta have it in the back of your mind that Giannis's free agency is approaching, and you have two more, including this one, two more seasons to show to him. And I think getting better every year is required. So last year you lose in the conference finals. You gotta make the finals this year. So I think if you do that, it sets yourself, it sets your team up to, you know, theoretically. Just take that next step next year, I guess. But if you lose before that, it's a problem. So if you take a step back, like they would if they lost Miami, now we're talking. Now we're talking catastrophe in Milwaukee. So yeah, it's the Clippers though. Clippers are such a better team. They'd have the best player in the series. They'd have the depth. They'd have the shooting. It would be the Los Angeles Clippers, and I think Los Angeles Clippers will win the finals. Nate, let me tell you, I'm very glad you brought up the potential. Giannis free agency situation because if they end up disappointing this year, you know, I'm sure that's going to be in the back of everybody's mind. What if Giannis leaves Milwaukee, right? I think that that's a higher, like, that has a higher likelihood than Milwaukee bringing in another star through free agency. You know, might be a good basketball team, might be a good basketball town, no knock against the people of Milwaukee, but you look at the NBA players and most people on average where they want to live. You know, it's tough to say you want to live in Milwaukee over a Miami, LA, New York. I mean, Knicks haven't had much luck signing people lately, but Chicago, you know what I'm saying? Like the high profile, high market type cities versus a Milwaukee. And you got to be there for what on average? I mean, this is a COVID year, so it's kind of different. But on average, NBA seasons what nine, ten months if you're looking to play in the playoffs. So, I'm glad you brought brought that up. Yeah, they they won't bring in somebody big via free agency, but they can make trades. And a name I want you to think about and monitor going into next year, Alex, is Chris Paul. Okay, I know Chris Paul. Oklahoma City loves him. He's had a great year. It's all kumbaya. But Oklahoma City, Sam Presti, he's a smart dude. They're realists, okay? The Chris Paul contract, it's not something you love to have on your books, even when you have a year like they just had. And especially when you're a team that's forward-thinking, that just lost a bajillion superstars over the last five years. You got all of these draft picks. You got a young guy in Shea Gilgis-Alexander. You got a young guy in Lou Dort. You got a young guy in Darius Baisley. Chris Paul, I... I loved what he did this year, but I think that Oklahoma City is going to look to move him. And the only teams that will look to take Chris Paul back are teams that are thinking about the present. Because as great as Chris Paul still is, and he is great, he the contract isn't doing anybody any favors, and he's only getting older. And Milwaukee's going to be all in. They need to be all in because they need to impress Giannis. He's keeping that franchise afloat. I mean, that team without Giannis is, whew, I don't even think about it. We're talking, we're talking Charlotte Hornets North right now. So just 
keep that on your radar. It would take obviously assets. You know, you, you think your Dante DiVincenzo's, you think your DJ Wilson's, I know it's not much, but you think your draft picks, stuff like that. And pairing Giannis with Chris Bledsoe would probably go as well. You probably ship Bledsoe. But thinking Giannis and Chris Paul and Chris Middleton, that that that's damn good right there. So just th- something to think about. And they're not gonna get a superstar, but that's something to think about. You know, I wasn't even thinking about that, but now that you mentioned that, that is sounding like a perfect fit. Chris Paul's such a great on the court leader and leader off the court as well. And Chris you Paul, know, I mean, so much experience, such a career, but what's he missing? He's missing that hardware and he's missing a title. He, he wants it. And that would be the situation. So just keep it in your minds. I've been, I, I said that from the beginning of the season. The but. To the Bucks would be a match made in heaven. It really would be. I'm going to definitely keep that on my radar. And if it does come to fruition, I'm going to remember you said it here first before anybody else. And I'm very happy we got to do this pod today. Nate, it's always a pleasure when we connect, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Alex. And I'm looking forward to watching the games, talking about the games, doing another podcast soon. My name is Nate with Alex. Before Alex, I let you talk about Frequently Football. You can catch this podcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor app as well. Alex, what about your podcast, Frequently Football? You want to tell the viewers a little bit about it? Absolutely, Nate. So Frequently Football just dropped a podcast yesterday, actually, on the fantasy football stock of one Leonard Fournette. For those that are not aware, although I'm sure that most are aware, Leonard Fournette just signed a one-year deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I dive into a little bit of how Leonard projects to do with the Bucs, his efficiency, fantasy points, where you should draft him, and throughout the Frequently Football page, talk about much more as it relates to football. But always, absolute pleasure to come here collab with nate and hoop scoop talk a little bit of basketball so nate thanks again so much for having me man absolutely check out his stuff if you haven't fantasy football guru football just expert in general follow him on twitter catch the podcast all that good stuff my name is nate we'll catch you guys next time peace